0: We are so grateful that you love us so much that even when you saw us as sinners, that you loved us and sent your Son for us. Lord, help us to understand what that means for us as we continue to walk with you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we're continuing our sermon series in the book of Psalms. Every year around Thanksgiving we do this here at Cornerstone. And one of the things I love about the psalms is that they help us wherever we are coming from. They help us to turn to God, but they help us to do it in the right way. One of the things that's important for us to know is that we shouldn't just seek God any which way we think is best. We should learn what God thinks is best, and we should approach him in that way. Now, the psalm that I picked out today is one that I chose about six months ago uh, when Christine and I took our trip to Australia during my sabbatical, I was at my friend's church on a very interesting day. He's a a pastor there, and uh, I had heard about this situation ahead of time. It's a day that I hope we never have to deal with something like this at Cornerstone. On that day, there was a congregational meeting to address the issues of a woman who had been causing a bunch of problems in church with her actions. Um, The church had gone through all the proper channels, at least from what I had heard, to try to talk to her individually, to try to to bring in... uh, some leaders to talk with her, but this woman just would not listen. And it came to the point where they had to have a congregational meeting to address the issues that this woman was creating because it was causing such division in the church. So it came to the point where biblically, like it says in Matthew 18, they, they had to take it to the church. Now that same day, uh, perhaps on an unrelated theme, but at that church they asked me to come up and read Psalm 85 and give a few comments on it. And it, it just stood as such a good reminder to me of how good God is, but how also it's important for us to stay on the right path. And I hope, I hope we never have to do anything like that at Cornerstone. I hope that every one of us will have soft hearts before God that whenever he would point out anything that's wrong in us, that we would deal with it just between us and him. That we wouldn't need anybody to come and... and uh, Help us. I mean, obviously, we all need people to come and, and point out our weaknesses. But I hope that we would have soft, humble hearts to respond. So the reason I chose Psalm 85 to preach on today is is because of that experience I had in Australia. It's not because of any situation here at Cornerstone. And, and just a quick side note: sometimes um, people come up to preachers afterwards and they say things like, "Preacher, how did you know exactly what was going on in my life? That sermon was just for me." And you know, hey, great, I'm glad. Other times, people might come up more accusing and say, Hey, Pastor, you preached that sermon because of me. How dare you? <laughs> and, uh, so I would just like to say, if, if you are convicted by God's Word, don't blame the preacher, okay? <laughs> so um, what we're going to talk about today is this issue of, of how we need to have hearts that are always ready to turn away from sin. Now, what's interesting... Psalm 85 overall is amazingly positive, yet there's one line in it to me that kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. and we all know how that goes, right? Whether it's, it's your thumb or just some other very small part of your body that's, that's hurting really bad, everything else in your body could be doing just fine, but all you can think about is that one part of your body that's really hurting. And sin can be like that in our lives. Sin can stand out like a sore thumb and really ruin the rest of our lives. And, and similarly, in a church, even if there's uh, just you know, a couple people that are struggling with the sin, it can cause real problems in the church. So we're going to look at Psalm 85 today. It's a psalm in which the people remember God's goodness, and overall, it is overwhelmingly positive. Even though the people were going through a difficult time, they knew that they could go to God in their difficulties and call out to him. So let me read Psalm 85 for you. For the director of music, of the sons of Korah, a psalm. You showed favor to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, O God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints, but let them not return to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. Now, one of the key words in this psalm is the word turn, although you might not recognize it by reading in English translations, but let me show you a few places where this word shows up uh, behind the translations that we have here. So in verse 1, it talks about how God restored the fortunes. That's a phrase for how God turned things around for his people. And then in verse 3, it talks about how God turned from his fierce anger. God forgave the people. In verse 4, it's a plea from the people. They say, restore us again. They're asking for God to turn around and show his goodness to them. And then similarly, in verse 6, they ask, revive us again. Again, they're asking God to turn around and to show his goodness. Now, there's one other key place where the word turn shows up in this psalm, but I'm going to leave you hanging for a moment on that one, and and we'll get to it in a a little bit. But for now, I want you to recognize that God is the God who is willing to turn away from his anger, He is willing to turn towards His people in favor and blessing. And that's one of the great themes of the book of Psalms, is is that we have a God who loves us and is willing to give us good things. Even if we have messed up, we can come to Him and He forgives. So the way I want to walk through Psalm 85 is to show you the past, present, and future elements of it. In verses 1 through 3, it's a reminder of God's goodness in the past. And then in verses 4 through 7, we see some sort of trouble that was happening in the present time for the people as they were uh, reading and worshiping through Psalm 85. And in verse 8, we see how the people responded in the present. And then in verses 9 through 13, we see God's goodness in the near future. Now, let's start out by looking at verses 1 through 3, which talk about God's goodness in the past. In verse 1, it talks about restoring the fortunes of Jacob. Now, that's a, a common way in the Old Testament to talk about how God brought his people back from exile. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Old Testament, let's just do some Old Testament 101 here. God's people were supposed to walk with him, but oftentimes they didn't. And, and sometimes if it got so bad, what God would do as a reminder for his people is that he would allow his people to be captured and taken into captivity in foreign land. That's called exile. Yet sometimes when God's people were in exile, they could call out to him. Well, they could call out to him anytime. time. And sometimes when they would call out to him, God would restore them and bring them back into their land. So that's what's behind that phrase, you restored the fortunes of Jacob. It was God showing his favor to his people. And then it goes on to say in verses 2 through 3 that, that it shows how God was willing to forgive the sins of his people, how he set aside his wrath, and turned from his fierce anger. Now for us, as we look at these verses in 2017, let it stand as a reminder for us that we don't always walk with God the way that we should. Yet God is still willing to forgive us. And, and the perfect picture of that would be the cross of Jesus Christ. right? We see God's willingness to forgive. We see that we are the people who had sinned, Yet we see our sin penalty placed on Jesus Christ so that when he died, he died for us, for our sins. And when he rose again from the dead, he showed that he had risen triumphantly, that there is victory for any of us who would receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, that we can walk rightly with him now, that we can live with him forever. It's the goodness of God. So just like the people in Psalm 85 could look back at God's goodness, to look back at how they... They were brought out of exile and brought into their home. So we too can look back at our exile. Spiritually speaking, our exile was our sin, that we were separated from God, but God brought us out of that through what Jesus did for us. Let's move on now to verses 4 through 7. Uh, in those verses, we move into the present-day situation of Psalm 85. And apparently, in those verses, the people recognized that, that things were going wrong. And they, I think they also recognized that what was going wrong was the things that they did. They recognized that they had brought displeasure to God. Like it says in verse 4, they're, they're asking God to restore them and to put away his displeasure. Now, here's one of the things that we need to know about God and our sins. That yes, he is willing to forgive us, but that doesn't mean that he's okay with our sin. Right? That, I think maybe sometimes we get this impression of God that, oh, he, he loves to forgive sin, so it's maybe okay if I keep on doing it. No, it's not. Our sin separates us from God. It brings displeasure to him. Our sin, even as Christians who have already received Jesus, our sin brings displeasure to God, and it harms our relationship with Him. So the people in Psalm 85 asked God to restore, that, that God would turn away from His displeasure. In verse five, they wondered how long God's anger would last. They wondered if it wondered if it would last forever. Have you ever been there in your sin, that you, you know that you've messed up so badly, and you wonder if God is just going to be angry with you forever? if you run out of God's favor. So for them, in Psalm 85, it brings them back to verse 6, where they ask God, will you not revive us again? They're they're calling on God's goodness and his compassion and his mercy. They're recognizing what they have done wrong and they're asking God to revive. And then look what they say at the end of verse 6, that your people may rejoice in you. And that's one of the things I love about the Psalms. Like I say, they, they take us from wherever we are to where we should be. And, and if we're in sin, we shouldn't stay there. We, we should go to God, and the end result should be that we would rejoice. When we see what God has done for us, may we be people who rejoice. May we be people, as we look back at the cross to what God has done for us, may we rejoice in that. And then in verse 7, The people asked God to show his unfailing love and to grant his salvation to them. So by this time, they knew that they could bring their requests to God. Even though I think they had recognized that it was their sin that brought them into these difficult times, they knew that they had a God who loved them and a God who would answer with unfailing love and salvation. And I feel kind of like a broken record when I say this, but it's one of the things I love about the Psalms: is that even if we are in difficult times because of our problem, because of our sin, that we can go to God and he has mercy and grace and compassion for us. We all go through difficult times in life, and, and yes, sometimes those difficult times come at no fault of our own. It's just because we live in a fallen world. Sometimes. But other times we know that it's us that's the problem, right? We all know that. We all know that in our our relationship with God, it's not God who is the problem, it's us. Now, if that's the case, if we're recognizing we're in one of those places where our sin is harming our relationship with God, I want you to know that we can go to God. We can call out to Him for mercy. And that leads us to verse 8, which I think is maybe the key verse in this psalm says, I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints, but let them not return to folly. So this verse starts out with a commitment. I will listen to what God the Lord will say. And I pray that that's our heart. I pray that we would be people who eagerly listen to what God says to us. It's so easy for us to choose our own path. Let's listen to what God will say. And as we listen to him, one of the things that we will hear him say is what it says there in the middle of verse 8. He promises peace to his people. God promises peace to his people. Uh, to, to remind you of the peace of God, I want you to think again of what Jesus said after he was raised from the dead. So we're, uh, in the Gospel of John, I want to do this by way of a trivia question, by the way. Somebody gave me uh, more candy bars to hand out, so uh, I've got candy bar questions here. In the Gospel of John, Jesus said two things to his disciples after he he was raised from the dead. So we're not talking... He he saw some of the women first. We're not talking about that interaction. But when Jesus met again with his disciples after he was raised from the dead, he said two things to them. What were they? Anybody know? Peace Peace be with you. And what's the second thing? Nope. Nope. Peace be with you. Did somebody say it just as I said it? Was that you, Josiah? All right. Here, I think I heard Nathan say the first one and Josiah the second one. So you guys can come up after the service for your candy bar, all right? Yeah, in John 19 and 21, Jesus, think about this. Think of all that Jesus had been through. He was nailed to a cross for no sin of his own. He paid for our penalty. He died... He defeated the power of sin and death and the devil. And you can imagine how eager he was to tell his followers what he had done for them and what did he say to them? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Please know that in our relationship with God we can have peace because of what God has done for us. But this brings us to that part of Psalm 85 that I said stands out to me like a sore thumb. At the end of verse 8 it says, but let them not return to folly. Let them not return to folly. I told you at the beginning of my sermon there was one other place where the word turn shows up in our psalm. Here it is. We are not to turn or return to folly. Now, this word folly is from the same word that is often used in Hebrews to denote somebody who, is, or, I'm sorry, in the book of Proverbs to denote somebody who is foolish. So these would be the people who, it it says of them there, that they hate the knowledge of God. These would be people who choose their own path, that, that God has a path he wants us to take, but foolish people don't want to take that path, and they might not say that they hate God, but by their actions they show themselves to be fools as they take the wrong path. So here in Psalm 85, it urges us not to return to folly. So here's how it works in Psalm 85, the people are crying out to God, asking Him to turn from His wrath, His anger, His displeasure. If they want God to turn like that though, they are to recognize that they should not return to their folly. So why should we think that we should get in on God's goodness and His favor if we're going to go on the path of foolishness, on the path of sin? When Old Testament writers wanted to compliment a person, one of the things that they would say is that he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Or as we think about the New Testament, I love the word picture in 1 John, that God is light and he invites us into fellowship with him and we are to walk in the light. Yet some people stray and they walk in the darkness. So either from that Old Testament picture or that New Testament picture, we get this idea that God has a path that he wants us to walk on and we are not to stray from it. We are to keep on that path. We are not to turn to folly. So I want to ask you a couple questions here about folly. Number one, why would we turn to folly? You ever ask yourself that question? Why do we do it? One answer is habit, right? Um, think it, about it this way: We have spent so much time in our lives sinning. We have spent far too much time taking the wrong path in life. And did you know that each time we take the wrong path, we're training ourselves to do it again? It's like each time we take the wrong path, we kind of carve out a path, and it kind of becomes a rut. And do you ever feel like you've been stuck in a sin? Well, maybe it's because you have taken that path so often that you carved a rut and you feel stuck in it. Now, we're not stuck in it, because God can help us out of it, but that's, I think, one of the reasons that we turn to folly is because it's habit. It's so natural for us to keep going that way. Perhaps another reason that we keep going to folly is as simple as pleasure. When temptation comes, it comes with a deceptive promise of pleasure. And too often we go there, and let's be honest, we've all been there. Do you know why they call it temptation? because it's tempting. And if we don't admit that, I think we harm ourselves. So one of the reasons that we turn to folly is because we see the pleasures of sin and we want to go there. That's not the way it should be, but that's what we do. But Perhaps the main reason that we turn to folly is because we forget, and maybe we forget it just for a moment, but we forget that God is the Lord. When we take the path of folly... We assume that we have the right to direct our paths how we want to. And if we do so, it's like we set ourselves up as a false lord of our own life. The word lord means master, and if he's our master, it means that we should follow him wherever he leads us. It is foolishness for us to think that we can lead ourselves in a better way than God can. It is foolishness to think that by choosing our own path that we can lead ourselves into more joy than God can give us. So, the first question, why would we turn to folly? We all have an answer to that question, and it's not a good answer. But the second question then, why should we repent? Why should we repent? Well, our sin separates us from God. Adam and Eve learned that the hard way in the Garden of Eden. We see evidence of it every day of our lives. Now, if we want to walk with God, it should be obvious to us that we should flee from our sin. That God has a better path for us, and that path of life has nothing to do with sin. So if we ever catch ourselves straying off the path, what we should do is we should turn around. And did you know that the word repent in the Old Testament usually is just simply the word turn? I look this up in my translation of the Bible, and almost every time the Old Testament calls us to repent, it's this word for Turn. We are to to turn around from our selfish ways, from our sinful ways, and we are to turn back to God. We were created for a relationship with God. We were created to have love and joy and peace as we follow him. And sin has no part in that. So if we catch ourselves in sin, we should turn around. And and I love again how Psalm 85.8 put it, "...let them not return to folly." We are to repent. Yet, if we're honest with ourselves, we can come up with lots of reasons not to repent, right? Maybe we look at our sin and we think it's not that bad. Maybe we look at other people who have sinned against us and we think it's okay for us to treat them poorly because of how they have treated us. Do you ever get caught in that cycle? If you do, if you find yourself making decisions to distance yourself from other people, um, please know that you might be part of that problem. Or maybe we don't repent because we just enjoy the pleasure of sin so much that we just kind of want to keep it around. And again, we need to be honest with ourselves here. Look into our own hearts. So please, I urge you, if there's any sin in your life, repent. And that leads us to our application here. Is there any folly, any foolishness in your life right now? And if so, repent. Sin will not lead us to God's favor. Sin comes with that, that false promise of satisfaction, but it doesn't lead us to life. So may we be people who recognize our sins for what it is. So is there any sin in your life right now? I just want you all to think about that. Don't think about your neighbor right now. I want you to think about you. Is there some sin that you're struggling with in the darkness? Maybe you think that no one else knows about it. God knows about it. And if it's there, it is harming your relationship with God, even if you think you've got it hidden and covered. Bring it into the light. Or, or maybe you're struggling with the sin of unforgiveness towards someone else. Uh, and here's where I want to urge you. Don't just do Minnesota nice. Okay? We know how to do that, right? <laughs> Somebody's sinned against us or you've sinned against them, and we know how to put on the smiling face and say, Hi, how are you doing? Sure is terrible weather we've had, isn't it? And all the while your heart is seething on the inside. Um, Maybe somebody has sinned against you, and and you don't know what to do about it. Well, here's here's one piece of advice. I think this is fantastic here. Proverbs 19.11. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Sometimes when someone has sinned against you, maybe the only thing that needs to happen is you just say, I'm going to overlook that one. I am going to choose to forgive that person. Uh, It's all too easy for us to keep on living uh, by holding a grudge against somebody else. They did something, and maybe it's even just one thing that they, they did wrong to us, and we're going to hold it against them. I want us to be people who are willing to forgive like God forgave us think if God did that to us if just one sin of ours against God and he turned his back on us forever praise the Lord that's not what he has done he welcomes us back into relationship with him through forgiveness and maybe we need to extend that kind of forgiveness to other people and maybe the only thing that needs to happen is you just need to overlook it or maybe there's some other sin that you have been unwilling to turn away from Maybe it's a habit, maybe it's something that you enjoy too much. But let me tell you this again, going back to that, uh, that congregational meeting that I saw in Australia six months ago, and, and trust me, I, I am not the judge of this woman who is causing the problems, uh, I, I don't intend to, to, to judge her by anything that I'm saying, but her church came to her that day and begged her to repent. In fact, there was one poignant moment in that congregational meeting where there was a man who had two teenage daughters and he, he addressed this woman and he said, would you please teach my daughters how to repent? Show them what to do when you have done something wrong. And it just reminded me that I never want to get to that point where my heart is so hard that I'm unwilling to listen to God. And again, I'm not saying that this woman, you know maybe she was in the right for what she did. I'm not the one to judge that. Although if you were to hear this the story behind it you would think it's so trivial and it was. Um, But what it shows us and here I'm going to talk about my heart here I'm not going to point the finger at anybody else in my heart I know that I can hold on to things longer than I should. In my heart I know that there can be unforgiveness in my heart I know that there can be an unwillingness to repent as quickly as I should. And I want us to be people who look into our own hearts and who recognize that we do not want to stay in folly, in foolishness. Satan would love to bring disunity by tempting us to stay in our sin. Satan would love to bring disunity in our church by attacking the relationships in our church. So I just want to ask you that question. Uh, How are your relationships with people in the church here? Is there anything that you need to do to make something right? Is there anybody you need to forgive? If you are harboring bitterness or anger or just plain unkindness toward anyone, please repent of that. It won't bring about life. So let God search your heart and show you if there's anything you need to turn from. I love Psalm one thirty nine twenty three through twenty four on the, this. These are verses I would recommend that you um, memorize and ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to show your heart. Here's what they say: Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Maybe you want to write down these verses and, and uh, find a quiet time somewhere today and just pray through these verses slowly and give God that opportunity to show you what's on your heart. Let's be people who eagerly let God show us our sin so we can turn from it. Now, as we look at Psalm 85, 8, we can, we can easily see the negativity in it. It's no fun to look at our sin or to think about how it damages us. But again, remember, Psalm 85 is overwhelmingly positive. If we are willing to turn from our folly, God will show us his goodness. And on that note, let's take a look at the last several verses, um, starting in verse 9. In verse 9 it talks about how God's salvation is near and how his glory may dwell in our land. And I just want to remind you that's what happens in Jesus. In Jesus Christ our salvation is near. The name Jesus means the Lord saved. And in Jesus we know that God's glory dwells with us. In John 1:14 it talks about how Jesus brought the glory of the Father to our world. And because we can have a relationship with Jesus, he lives in us. God's glory can live in us. We are like the temple. And God's goodness and favor can rest on us. And then in Psalm 85, verses 10 through 11, it talks about love and faithfulness and righteousness and peace. And they meet together in this beautiful embrace. And that is the kind of world that I want us to live in. Where where faithfulness and righteousness rule the day. And it's summed up really well in verse 12 where it says, The Lord will indeed give what is good. God wants to give us good things He will turn to us in favor when we turn away from sin. And the result in verse 12 is that the land will yield its harvest. Now this is interesting because in the Old Testament one of the great blessings that God told his people that he would give them if they would follow him is that he would bless their crops. Now we might look at that and say really? Their crops? Why why didn't he talk about blessing their hearts? Well, one of the ways that God blessed his people was by providing for them, by giving them the things that they needed. And it's a similar thing for us in the New Testament, where Jesus said, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. But then also as we look at the New Testament, we do see those, those more heartfelt, uh, those, those inner blessings that God wants to give. As we think about our land yielding its harvest, I think of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control springing up from within all of us as we keep in step with the Holy Spirit. God will do that in us. He will produce that fruit. God will also produce the fruit of us helping others come to know Jesus and of us helping others grow in their faith. That's the kind of fruit that God will produce in us. The Lord will indeed give us what is good as we walk with him, as we turn away from sin, God will give blessings to us. And this is because God is righteous and he himself always walks in what is right. That's what verse 13 tells us. Now, from our perspective, we could say it this way, that that God is good to us, that God has a path for us that he wants us to walk on, and we should turn away from sin. He will lead us in paths of righteousness for his name's now in conclusion here I want to remind you that most of Psalm 85 is positive it's a psalm about how God forgives and restores and saves and gives what is good God will both rescue us from danger and he will faithfully sustain us continuing to give us what is good our part in this is that we are not to return to folly Instead, we are to listen to God and rejoice in Him. So let me just camp out on those three things real quick. Listening to God, rejoicing in Him, not returning to folly. In regard to listening, are you eagerly listening to God? God loves to speak to us. He leads His people. He's given us His Word that we can look into. So are you eagerly listening to God? Are you spending time by yourself reading God's Word and asking the Holy Spirit to point out to you what's in there? Are you doing things like coming to church and uh, maybe you're part of a Bible study where you're listening, you're seeking out God's Word in such a way that you will listen to Him? Are you praying? And when you pray, are you not just saying to God the things that you want, but are you taking time to listen to Him? May we be people who eagerly listen to God. And then the next one, rejoicing. Are you regularly rejoicing in God? In verse 8 it says, he promises, uh, no, I'm sorry, verse 6. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Is your heart regularly rejoicing in God? Remember, a heart that rejoices in God is a heart that stays close to God. So how often... Do you just stop and say, God, thank you for who you are? When was the last time you just spent time in prayer lifting off the things that you're thankful for, that God has done for you? Do you have a heart that regularly rejoices? And then in regard to not returning to folly, if you ever find yourself off the path, how quickly do you get back on it? A quote that has been so helpful to me, and others have said it has been helpful to them. It comes from uh, Ron Burgett. He used to be the Free Church pastor in Alexandria, and now he's a missionary. He said something like this: "The best I have been able to do is to stray less often and come back more quickly." Isn't that so good? The best I've been able to do is to stray less often and come back more quickly. If we have strayed, let's repent and let's do it quickly. Let's do it quickly. Let's ask God to form within us hearts that are eager to turn from sin because we know that sin does not bring about life. We should be people who are always willing to repent. And I don't mean by that to say that everything we do is wrong. That's not my opinion of us. (laughs) But I do want us to have hearts that are always ready to listen to God, that whenever He would point out something in our life that is not right with us, that we would get on the right path, that we would turn around. Are you humble in that way? A humble attitude will help you out so much. A humble heart is a heart that stays close to God. So again, is there anything that's wrong in your heart? Is there any sin that you're holding on to? Any relationship that's broken and you've done something in it? Uh, Is there any pattern that you're in that you shouldn't be in? Is there any pattern that you're not in that you should be in? Is there anything that's wrong in your heart? If there's anything that's lingering there, if so, take it to God right now. Repent of it. And part of our repentance then, after we've asked God to, to cleanse us, is that we ask him to give us the strength that we would go in the right direction. And what's the alternative if we're not going to repent Are we just going to hang on to our sin and let our relationship with God and our relationships with others be damaged? Are we going to pretend that sin will bring us life? Now, usually repentance is messy. But in repentance, we will find restoration and blessing. God will turn toward us in favor. Let's be people who are always ready to turn to Him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We, we read of how you restored the fortunes of Jacob, and we are reminded of how you turned towards us in favor through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Jesus, for your death and resurrection that mean life for all who will believe. But God, we know that sometimes we stray, that though you have a path for us, sometimes we get off it. God, I pray that you would show us, that you would search our hearts and, and show us any offensive way in us. Even right now, God, show us our sin. Those things that we have done, those things that we have not done that we should have, please forgive us for our sins and lead us into what is good and right that we might live in the place where, where love and faithfulness meet together, where righteousness and peace kiss each other. God, we thank you for your favor, for your blessing we ask that we would be people who walk closely with you, who live in your blessing, and who bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.